0: The New Testament reading is taken from Revelation, chapter 6, verses 9 to 17. Revelation, chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand
1: well good morning uh, if we've not met on my occasional visits to saint Joseph's, my name is ian and before we go any further with the next bit of this series in revelation let me lead us in a prayer let's pray Father, help us to see you in all your love and your justice in this part of your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Since the start of 2020, uh, worldwide there have been over 10 million cases of COVID-19 and over half a million deaths. And in the same time, over a million more people in Syria have fled their homes because of the civil war. 60 million more people will have fallen into extreme poverty, according to the World Bank. And the latest Open Doors report says that 260 million Christians have spent the first half of this year facing high to extreme persecution, and over 1,500 will already have lost their lives. So it's no wonder someone wrote a book recently entitled, If I Were God, I'd End All the Pain. But he hasn't yet which is why we're still living in the world described in Revelation chapter 6. If you're with us for the first time, Revelation is the Bible book we're looking at, and it's a vision given by God to the Apostle John of what is going to happen up to the end of history and beyond. And if you imagine John as a cameraman, then two weeks back, he gave us a shot of what is going on behind the scenes in heaven. And we saw the risen Jesus being given this scroll, which is the script of God's plan for the rest of history, because Jesus is the one with the authority and the clout to make it happen. And then last week, John's camera cut back from heaven to what is going on here on earth. And we saw this vision of four horsemen. One stood for war making, one stood for life taking, one stood for famine, and the other one stood for the three Ds of disease, disaster and death. And between them, those four horsemen stand for all the things that I mentioned at the beginning, like COVID-19, Syria, poverty, hunger and so on. And we saw that God allows those things to bring home to us the human race, that we can't enjoy life as he meant it, while we are saying to him, the giver of life, we don't want you in charge. In other words, he allows the pain for a purpose, even though, as someone has put it, that is a severe mercy. But what purpose could possibly be served by the last thing, I mentioned at the beginning, the persecution and killing of Christians. Why would the risen Lord Jesus allow that to happen to any of his followers? Well, that was the big question for John's first readers, as the Roman Empire ramped up its persecution against anyone who refused to call Caesar God. To those of us who are here from countries in the Middle East, it's also a big question from our own personal experience. And things are likely to get worse for Christians here in Europe as countries become first more aggressively secular and then potentially more Muslim. So if you've got a Bible to hand, would you turn to Revelation chapter 6? And remember, in John's vision... The risen Jesus is gradually opening this scroll, which stands for the script of history. And every time he takes off one of its seals, something happens. So last week we saw the first four seals letting loose the four horsemen. And we pick it up again at verse nine, when he opened the fifth seal. And the first half of today's passage is about the painful wait while the gospel is spread. Let's read from verse nine. When he, the risen Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So the camera has cut back to heaven again, where John sees the souls of believers in Jesus who've been killed for their faith. And he says they are under the altar. And that's a good point to remember that Revelation uses Picture language that needs careful interpreting. So, last week we weren't to think of four literal horsemen literally galloping across the world. And here we're not to think of these believers who've died, along with believing loved ones that we've lost, as literally all huddled underneath some kind of altar. Because in the Old Testament, the altar was the place you had access to God, where you were as close to God as you could be and yet completely safe in his presence. So this is lovely picture language saying that believers who've died are as close to God as they could possibly be, and that they're finally perfectly safe with him, with all the pains and difficulties of living and dying behind them now. And that should be a real comfort to us as we think of believing loved ones we've lost. So John sees these believers who've been killed for their faith. And verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In other words, when are you going to bring justice on the people who took our lives away? Because right now God seems to have let their persecutors get away with it just like he seems to be letting all sorts of wrongdoers get away with all sorts of wrongdoing every day. You only have to read the news to get that impression. So how does God answer? Well, look at verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Isn't that an extraordinary answer? Because God is basically saying, wait until the number of believers whom I've planned will die witnessing to my son Jesus is complete, is filled up. To which the obvious question is, Lord, why would you let even one more believer die? Why don't you stop it now? But the thing is, stopping persecution now would mean stopping everything now wouldn't it just as stopping any evil we wish he would deal with would mean stopping everything now which would mean stopping history now which would mean bringing on judgment day now and we need to be very careful before wanting that because where would you be if it all stopped right now Maybe you're someone who definitely wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. And you know that if this Christianity stuff is all true, then you are at the moment on the wrong side of God. And if so, you are one reason why he is still waiting and he hasn't stopped it all yet. It's because he's giving Christians the opportunity to get the good news about Jesus to you and giving you the opportunity to respond. But of course, that always gives you the opportunity to respond negatively. And some people, in some places and times, will always respond so negatively as to be willing even to persecute or kill Christians. But verse 11 says even that is part of God's plan, because he wants to give even those people, people who would be prepared to persecute and kill his messengers, the opportunity to come to know his son. He loves them enough to see his messengers hurt by them, just like in the first place, he loved them enough to see his son die for them and for their forgiveness on the cross. But maybe like me, you are someone who would call yourself a Christian, and we need to be equally careful before we start wanting judgment now. Not only because we should be concerned for those who still need to hear about Jesus and respond, but also because we might be less ready to meet Jesus than we think. And you see that in the messages to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, because several times the risen Jesus says words to the effect, you call yourself Christians, but by the way you're living, that calls it into question. And you need to sort out where you really stand with me before we meet And maybe the risen Lord Jesus would be saying that to you right now, in which case you're another reason why he's still waiting and why he hasn't stopped it all yet. In fact, we are all reasons why he's still doing that. So when we cry out, like in verse 10, O Sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge? God's answer is, wait while the gospel is spread to more people and play your part in spreading it and in accepting the pain, large or small, which always goes along with doing that. So there's the painful wait while the gospel is spread. And the other thing we see in this passage is there's the fearful day when opportunity is over. Let's look on to verse 12. When the risen Jesus opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place." Which sounds like the CGI effects of an apocalyptic disaster movie, But this is John's vision of the end of this created order, of what will really happen when space and time is wound up. And if that sounds far-fetched, we need to remember that God began it all from nothing, and so there's no reason why he can't end it all and then recreate the new creation. But the focus here is not on what will happen to the creation, but what will happen to the people in it. Verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. That's God, the father, and from the wrath of the lamb. That's the risen Lord Jesus, God, the son. So here is where that cry for justice is finally answered because it's the kings, the great ones, the generals and the rich and the powerful in verse 15 who have the most power to persecute believers and seemingly to get away with it. But on the day when, like the creed says, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, they will not get away with it anymore. And for those who have been forgiven back onto the right side of God, it is great to know that all the wrongs that human justice has failed to bring to account will be brought to account. So, for example, one concentration camp officer reflecting after World War II said, we did what we did because we told ourselves no one was watching. But God was, wasn't he? Which means that justice will be done on everything. And that's something an atheist can never say. And this isn't just great to know when it comes to things on the scale of the Holocaust. It's also great to know when it comes to the injustices that we have faced personally and which have never been properly acknowledged or resolved. But God knows. And it's still on his agenda. Even long after other people have forgotten it. So verse 15 again, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves. And that's everyone who has not been forgiven back onto the right side of God. Everyone who's continued to say all the way through their lives, I don't want you in charge. And now here they are trying to hide from him. I remember when I was very uh, little hitting a bad patch in my hide-and-seek career, because every time we played it as a family, I would just crouch down anywhere, even in the middle of the lawn, and cover my eyes and think that because I couldn't see them, they couldn't see me. Uh, And that illusion was always very quickly broken after the count to 20 had finished. But our default is to treat God the same way, to think that because I can't see him, He can't see me, or even that he's not even there to see me. And so that my life is hidden, that it's unaccountable to anyone but me. But that illusion will also be quickly broken on the day of judgment. Now Bertrand Russell, who was an atheist and a philosopher and journalist, he was once asked what he would do if in the end it turned out that God really was there and that he really had been accountable to God all along. And Russell replied, I would say to him, not enough evidence, God. In other words, you didn't give me enough to go on to believe in you, and that's your fault, not mine. Sounds very clever and cocky, doesn't it? But the scene here in Revelation 6 is very different, because there's no one fronting up to God, no one answering back to God. Instead, everyone's trying to hide from God, because everyone in the clarity of that moment has realised they did have enough to go on. They've realised that they had the evidence in creation of their creator, but they ignored it. They've realised they had the evidence in conscience of what he says is right and wrong, but they ignored it. And many of them also had the evidence of the Bible, the evidence for Jesus, and the evidence of Christians trying to point them to Jesus but they ignored it. I'm often asked, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? And it's a good question. It's It's a fair question because it's about how God can be fair with those people. And the answer is that although there are people without knowledge of Jesus, there is no one, thanks to creation and conscience, without knowledge of God. And God will judge each of us on our response to what we did know Not what we didn't know. So halfway through verse 16 again, these people call out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And wrath is just another word for God's judgment. It may be a word which applied to human beings makes you think of irrational anger flying off the handle. But when it's applied to God, it means his totally reasonable, righteous reaction to the way that we've ignored him and mistreated others and his world as a result. Now that may all leave you thinking, but hold on, don't you believe in a God of love? Isn't Christianity all about love? John 3.16, God so loved the world and all that. And the answer is that love and justice are not opposites. In fact, there is nothing more loving than seeing justice done. Uh, Some friends of a friend have a son and they tell the story of how he came back from his primary school at the beginning of a new academic year. And he said, my new teacher, my new teacher doesn't care about me. Uh, And at first they were worried that uh, other children were picking on him and that the teacher wasn't bothered about that or even that the teacher himself was picking on him. But when they asked him what he meant, he said, well, he never marks my work. So you see what he's saying? No marking, which equals no judgment, means no care, which equals no love. So it's not judgment, that's the opposite of love, but indifference and carelessness. And the good news is that we do not live in a universe where nobody is watching, and we don't live in a universe where someone who's indifferent and careless is watching. We live in a universe where a loving and just God is watching. So thinking ahead to Judgment Day, that begs the question at the very end of verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and here's the question, who can stand? Who can stand? And the answer is only forgiven people. The people who can stand safe from God's judgment on that day are the people who are trusting that Jesus died for the forgiveness of all their sins, past, present and future. They're the people who have turned to Jesus and said, please forgive me for living the wrong way as if you weren't there. Please come into my life and take charge of it from now on and please start getting to work on me, beginning to make me fit to be part of the new creation. And to come back to where we began, that is why we are still living in the world that we're in. That is why God has not yet ended all the pain. It's because he's waiting for each one of us to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to respond to Jesus, and then to help others to do the same before all opportunity is finally over. Let's pray. Father, thank you that everything you do and allow is driven by your love and your justice. Thank you that giving your son to die was out of love for us and determination to forgive only in a way that was just. And thank you that when he comes again to judge, that too will be an act of love, which finally values everything that was good and finally deals with everything that was wrong. And thank you right now for the gift of time and opportunity to know Jesus and make him known. Help us to use it wisely and well for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen.